five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. This is, of course, a podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Now, if this is your first episode, I am, as always, Sir Dr. JM, your host at Sir DRJM. You can find me on all socials at Sir DRJM, so why not give me a follow, reach out to me there, especially on Twitter, because I would love to interact with you. Questions, comments, inquiries, concerns, topics, anything you'd like me to discuss on the show, hit me up on Twitter. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, and all that jazz. Now, for today's show, we've got a fair number of stories to cover, including the latest with IBM's Watson, the latest retirings, and of course, signings as well, and we're going to do our pickums for this weekend's matches. So, let's dive on in. Playtime's over. All right, our first news story comes by way of Forbes this time around, an article by Chris Holt, which reads, IBM and the Overwatch League are using Watson AI to figure out the best player on each hero. One of the best additions to the Overwatch League this year is the power rankings generated by IBM Watson. IBM Watson has been using AI to analyze hundreds of data points and generate weekly lists of the best performing players and teams in the league. The system allows players to be compared directly with each other regardless of their role. It's a great way to see at a glance which pros are excelling. One piece of the equation has been missing though, an option to see which players are the best at each hero. That's about to change with the introduction of hero rankings. As with power rankings, the system takes into account more than weighted 360 data points to figure out the best player on each hero during every week of the OWL season. There are two key factors that IBM Watson is looking at here. The total time a player has given on a hero, oh, sorry, has on a given hero, and the effect that player and hero combination has on the match outcome based on the power rankings algorithm. Each player will have a score for each hero they play with 100 as the baseline figure. As with the power rankings, you'll be able to track players' scores throughout the season and see their total playtime on a given character. So, soon enough, we'll be able to, we'll finally be able to know objectively whether Fleta is truly the best Echo in the world, Fearless's Winston is unmatched, and whether Super is really the main tank difference on Reinhardt. At least once that hero's back in the rotation. The rankings should also provide insights on each player's strongest and weakest heroes. An example IBM shared with me showed that the Hangzhou Sparks McD was the best Ana player in the league as of week 8, followed by Fielder of the Dallas Fuel, Iziaki of the Shanghai Dragons, the Philadelphia Fusion's Alarm, my MVP pick for 2020, and Bebe of the Washington Justice. Hero rankings will give Overwatch League fans, analysts, coaches, and pros more fodder for discussion about the league's best player. There are often debates about who the best Widowmaker is in Owl, or in Owl is, for instance, so having empirical data to back up the argument should make the trash talk a little spicier and more fun. You can find the hero rankings in their own tab within the power rankings with IBM Watson on the Overwatch League website or ibm.com slash Overwatch League. Well, obviously I pulled this article up because uh, it is kind of a cool implementation of the IBM Watson uh, AI. Um, I certainly, going into the, the season when they started talking about this kind of thing, I mean, I don't think many of us really knew what shape it was going to take um, until they, they really showed it off. However, I also didn't think that they would really be like making changes or additions to it. So this is kind of a, a really cool uh, implementation of it. I, I mean, 
I have to assume as well that this really means they're working closely or at least somewhat closely with portions of the league, um, you know, rather than just having IBM roll this out on a base level of, you know, who's the best and which teams are the best and which roles are the best kind of thing. It seems like this indicates that they're really working closely with teams to find out what would be helpful for them in in a professional capacity, right? As they mentioned in the article there, coaches, players, um, you know, analysts who will be ranking teams and players and things like that and giving out awards towards the end of the season. This all helps to, uh, you know, not only make their lives easier, but give everyone a little bit more uh, more interesting stuff to look at because I definitely, as, you know, kind of a stats guy, I think that sounds really cool. Um, and obviously, we will take a look at that towards the end of the show when we visit our good friend Watson. All right, so our next article is going to take us over to .esports.com with an article by Samuel O'Dwyer, on June 17th, which reads, Chengdu Hunters calls up Taro Cookie from Academy drops Kaneki from main roster. The Chengdu Hunters has decided that a little roster switcheroo was in order after their somewhat disappointing results in recent Overwatch League matches. The Chengdu side will be saying goodbye to the young prodigal DPS player Kaneki for the coming stage, sending him back to where he began the year playing on the Hunters Academy side in Chinese Contenders. Replacing Kaneki is the main squad Oh, sorry, replacing Kaneki in the main squad is Taro Cookie, a relatively unknown name who has been battling away in the second tier of competition for nigh on four years now, and is mostly known for his consistent hitscan play on his most recent team, Team Chaser. Alongside the announcement, the Chengdu Hunters released a statement on Taro Cookie, helping fans to understand what kind of player to expect. Quote, Taro Cookie has played in our academy team, Team Chaser. He has shown great accuracy with hitscan hit heroes, and has won second and third place in C-Knock Knockout stage. He is bold but cautious, talented in grasping his chances of reverse sweeping the competition in tough situations. Now that his practice challenge has been fulfilled, it's time for him to for him to show on the wider stage of Owl as a hunter. Currently sitting fifth out of eight teams in the Eastern Division of the Owl, Taro Cookie has a lot of work ahead of him to help his team to begin trending upwards in the coming critical stages ahead of the all-important finals later this year. See the new look Hunters play in their first match of st the stage on June 26th up against the Seoul Dynasty on the Owl YouTube channel. So as I mentioned in the top of the show, you know, a uh, bit of movement in uh, a team or two that we're going to talk about here. Um, obviously, uh, typically I don't know too much about the Eastern region uh, other than, you know, how the teams are performing on a base level. Um, and obviously we haven't seen a lot from Chengdu since the first stage. You know, they were highly favorited going into... Uh, the May Melee tournament, and then obviously they dropped the ball, and uh, they were, I believe, the first team out of the tournament. Um, and in the June Joust, they actually didn't qualify for uh, for the June Joust tournament in the end. Um, you know, with with a lesser than stellar record, uh, especially compared to their May Melee performance. So uh, obviously, you know, good to see Tarot Cookie coming up. Too bad for Kaneki. However, they do Chengdu has been known to have this kind of a relationship with their um their academy team um you know pulling players up and then sending other ones down uh on on the somewhat regular schedule um so you know not entirely unexpected but uh interesting to see the movement nonetheless now our next article is a little bit more of a i don't know what to call it uh less of a reporting kind of story and more of just a story i wanted to highlight i could put it in required reading that might have been smart but i digress it comes from dailyhive.com with an article by negan nia 
uh, posted on June 28th, which reads, Inside the Vancouver Titans' new esports player facility. So let's read on. Now, I'm actually just reading the byline here. Written for the Daily Hive by Ryu Yang Zhu. Zhu is a writer for Ashcon Esports and a Langara Journalism alumni. So uh, I just want to give the credit to who actually apparently wrote the article. After playing all of the third season of the Overwatch League Separated, the Vancouver Titans have finally revealed a new training facility set up for the players and staff. The main concern for the organization after a disastrous season was to ensure the players felt comfortable and identified with the city. Quote, What we really wanted to do here is make them feel at home, said Nissan Furtado, the senior marketing manager of Connect Sports and Entertainment. Quote, We wanted to make them feel as if they could actually more or less identify with the city of Vancouver. The facility is located at Rogers Arena, where the organization has converted an entire floor of their office space. The location is conveniently within walking distance of the players' and staff's apartments, an agreement the players decided on. Quote, We let them be as comfortable as they could be, so we gave them the option. Do you want a team house? Do you want your own arrangements? We're going to make you feel best to be able to perform your best, and this is the option that they picked, Furtado said. The focus on the player's comfort and ability to perform has been an important point throughout the offseason, especially considering the conflicts and issues with the previously all-Korean roster. But the organization is ready to show that they're there for their players. Quote, the organization couldn't be more excited and more jovial at the fact that we're not just talking the talk here, said Furtado. We're not just saying we want an esports team and we want whatever. We're walking the walk, we're taking care of these guys, and we're making sure that they're given everything they need to do their best and succeed in their careers. Outside of the facility being used for the players to practice and compete on game days, the space also features rooms for space for the content team, such as a studio place for interviews, and other forms of short pieces that allow the team to follow, still follow COVID-19 guidelines. Along with that, the space also serves as a broadcast center. Quote, We've built it in a very non-intrusive way, Furtado said. We've outfitted the space so that we can show it in the broadcast and not have cameras jammed up in their faces or make them feel like it's kind of haphazardly put together. Ultimately, with the entire roster in Vancouver, the organization is excited for the future of the team and the experience that is set to take place. Quote, If you're from Vancouver, and then you are insanely proud that you work here, it's such a cool, amazing, beautiful space. So from that perspective, I'm so happy that the players are here to be able to experience and gain the sense of pride that we all have as Vancouverites, Furtado said. Quote, from a company perspective, it's absolutely amazing to get to know these guys and to be able to capture their moments and then capture this amazing time in their lives. They've then got a number of pictures here in the article. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I as I mentioned, I probably should have stuck this one under uh, required reading because it's, I mean, it's not really a required reading or anything like that. Um, but I mean, at the same time, it's... Uh, it's not quite a news story as it is kind of just I wanted to highlight this because at first I was a little bit like well you know looking at the pictures um yeah it's great they've got you know a lot of blue and green on the walls they've got their logos the you know branding on the walls they've got kind of blue and green couches which is cool um and then obviously looking at some more of the pictures they've got you know the actual team setup where the team will play and everything with, uh, you know, whatever, gaming chairs and their little stations, plus, you know, COVID-19 barriers and things like that. Um, you know, a couple of the uh, 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 sponsorship, partnership deals, some branding from those on the walls, things like that. Um, but ultimately, you know, in comparison to what other organizations have and do, uh, I initially looked at this and thought, well, that that's cool. Like, uh, that's great. It would be 
cool to know this exists but like it's just it pales in comparison when you compare them to you know their canadian counterpart in the toronto defiant and the overactive media um facility that they recently unveiled you know this this just it's great that the organization is doing this for them. Obviously, this is a step in the right direction. This is a start. And it's also great that, you know, they apparently talked to the players and let them decide that, you know, they wanted to have their own living space, but then have this sort of professional place rather than a team house like someone like the San Francisco Shock has or uh, I guess some other format for this. But ultimately, like... Like I say, you know, you look at this and and yeah, this this looks like an office space that was converted for some gaming, and yeah, there's blue and green on the walls, which is cool, but ultimately it's it's kind of like this is just an office space with a nice paint job and some you know colorful couches. It just uh, you know if I'm bringing up here, let's go overactive media um, um, training facility. Let's see if I can find this thing. So if you go to Overactive Media's front home page, you see obviously their colors, their brands and everything. And then they've got this video here introducing Overactive Media, which I bet will show us a lot of, oh, it's actually showing us all the teams. Okay, I'm, I'm rambling at this point. Um, if you go look at their press release for the, uh, the facility that they built, oh, here we go, I just did it. Um, they've got, you know, this, awesome bar area sponsored by red bull they've got the they they've got a really sick uh i believe they call it the canon creators uh studio or something like that um the red bull gaming studio is like kind of a viewing area with with big led screens on the back wall and you know it, this totally just screams everything about this screams gamer you know red bull gaming studio um They've got this, this, all the cool lighting. They've got the Bell Fiber Zone uh, where the team actually plays. Um, they've got Toronto Ultra and and uh, Toronto Defiant branding everywhere. Um, and then, like, looking at more of it, they've got, you know, a more chill area with just some couches. They've got the Nano Leafs on the wall, which are is another sponsorship deal they have. Um, you know, they've got a sick-ass ping-pong table. There's the Canon Creator Lab, which is set up for people like CarQ and Frana to stream from. Um or or whatever produce content from if they're there they've got a jack links vending machine for for beef jerky which is another sponsorship they have um they've got a bud light fridge which again is another sponsorship they have um and just overall like looking at this you look at this and you think wow that's impressive that's cool that screams hip and trendy gaming um and and honestly it leaves you impressed I look at that in, or I look at this Vancouver Titans new esports player facility in comparison, and like the article says, it's a floor that they basically again painted the walls, put up some decals, stuck in some cubicles, and yeah, it's great. It it is great that they have this space now. They're no longer going to be playing out of you know whatever their their apartment rooms or or what have you, um, but ultimately it just is like. Even though they're saying, you know, they have this quote saying, we're not just walking the walk, we're talking the talk or whatever, or we're not, or vice versa, whichever they said. Even though they're saying that kind of stuff, it still just says to me, bare minimum, you know, we, we now realize we can't just stick these guys in, in a, in their bedrooms. So, which, which was the literal bare minimum and which was, you know, a 
part of why the uh, previous team collapsed. A, a part, I will say. Um, so they, they've realized that they can't really get away with that. But at the same time, it's kind of like somebody said, okay, so we'll give you a budget of maybe, maybe, I, I don't even know, maybe 10 grand at the most. And so they hired some painters, you know, they installed some cubicles. Uh, they had it all wired, obviously. Um, but like even even the branding is like, yeah, they have a, a sign on the wall or a window that says Canon Creator Lab, but they don't show that, you know, that that to me is probably the area that they mentioned, which is set up for content creation and things like that. But like they don't even show that, which says to me it probably pales in comparison to the actual aesthetic and the actual impressive design that the Toronto Defiant put into their Canon Creator Lab. So ultimately, you know, good for them for taking a step in the right direction. But again, just bare minimum is what this says to me. So now let's move on to the next story here, which comes from dotesports.com. Kale Michael on June, 9, June 19th wrote London Spitfire signs Spilo as assistant coach. Jacob Spilo Clifton is entering the big leagues, signing a deal to join the London Spitfires coaching staff as an assistant coach to Mads Fisher Jig. I hope I pronounced that right. Jeg. This will be Spilo's first job in the Overwatch League, having spent the last three and a half years coaching in smaller competitive circuits. He spent a majority of 2019 and 2020 as the head coach of Uprising Academy, the contender's affiliate of the Boston Uprising, jumping to sheer cold after leaving the team. He spent several months with the European squad before announcing his retirement from competitive Overwatch last November because it wasn't a financially viable option for him at the time. At the end of March, Spilo re-entered the competitive scene as the mental coach for Ex Oblivione, with Spitfire having signed and tasked him with working with players at an individual level to make gameplay adjustments and mental-related needs. Quote, it means a lot, Spilo said. I will be working with players one-on-one, -on -one, providing macro help and work on the mental side of things. After his first half of a relatively difficult season, it's my job to make sure that players are taking care of themselves and building confidence for the future. Spilo will be coaching Spitfire as an assistant alongside head coach Fisher and fellow assistant commander X. So obviously uh, good to hear this uh, signing for the London Spitfire and in the fact that uh, you know Spillo seems like he might be a good fit there. But really I wanna highlight this because of the, uh, the emphasis on the mental side of things. Um, what did they, what, what, what was the title they mentioned for him there? Uh, digging through the article here. Uh, Ex Oblivione Spitfires. Oh, just mental coach. That's what they call it. Um, so obviously, you know, a bit of a focus on the, uh, the player's mental health, which is always great. And especially on a team like this, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, not performing well. However, a team that people see potential in, right? Um, the Spitfire organization has been clear since since this was all announced in the offseason that they were bringing up most of the British Hurricane uh, roster into the London Spitfire. Um, you know, they've been pretty upfront with the fact that, you know, they're not looking to place top of the league this season. They're looking to build a foundation so that they can improve and grow uh, the organization as a whole from there. And this is a big part of it because when you're doing that and your team is at the bottom and your team is constantly getting beat, uh, obviously that takes a toll on everyone, not just the direct players, but the coaching staff and people like that as well. Uh, the organization kind of as a whole. So really important that they have this focus. And as they mentioned there, um, you know, after a first half of a relatively difficult season. So they're aware of the situation they're in and they want to do something about it to help the players be the best them they can be. So good to see and hear that for sure. Now, 
Moving on from there, June 21st, we have another article by Kale Michael on .esports.com, which reads, Guangzhou Charge and Overwatch League cancel Countdown Cup homestand due to COVID-19 concerns. The Guangzhou Charge and Overwatch League have officially canceled the upcoming homestand matches scheduled to run in Guangzhou from August 7th to 8th as part of the Countdown Cup. The decision was made due to an increase in COVID-19 issues in the Guangdong province of China. The team has been actively preparing to host the event since it originally announced on July 19th, 20, no, sorry, July 17th, 2019, but want to ensure the organization is following necessary precautions to keep fans, players, and staff safe and healthy. Quote, we're very sorry for the cancellation of the home match, and we sincerely thank you for your understanding and support of the Guangzhou charge. The charge said, hopefully one day when we are all safe, we'll finally gather in Guangzhou, raise up the blue flag, and witness our grand homestand together. Because of this cancellation, the Charge, Hangzhou Spark, Los Angeles Valiant, and Chengdu Hunters will all have matches that will no longer be played or need to be rescheduled. Scrolling down. The league is working with other Chinese teams to potentially host a different live event during the Countdown Cup dates, though no specific details are available at the moment. So, you know, obviously too bad to see this, especially given the uh, Dallas homestand and, and in-person events that have been... Um, ongoing recently or I, i'm not actually sure if the dallas one happened already no it wouldn't have uh but there is one planned for dallas um however there's a ton of restrictions around that to the point or to the effect of i'm pretty sure it's only going to be dallas on stage and when they play other teams they won't actually be there um so it is a battle for texas and they will be playing houston but i'm pretty sure even houston is just staying at home um due to their schedule and uh and obviously COVID-19 restrictions, right? So it's interesting to see that, you know, obviously we saw the Hangzhou Spark have their first live event. Um, Guangzhou, obviously a different area. So who knows what the state of things are like there? Obviously, I would assume significantly worse. But again, you know, interesting, we're seeing kind of different flavors. Um, the, the Hangzhou Spark, um, obviously must have had restrictions around their event as well, but they did still hold it. I saw, you know, pictures of it and everything. It did look pretty impressive not obviously to the scale of of thousands and thousands of people in a stadium or anything like that whereas dallas's was more like a stadium event uh, but again you know restrictions on the number of people they could have um and and obviously especially only having the one team there so i again i don't think that one has happened yet i think that one's coming in july but um but we'll see what happens with that. Uh, the state's obviously handling COVID very differently than other places. So who knows who is in a better situation at this point. Um, and obviously, uh, we'll see what happens with those games being rescheduled. But I don't suspect uh, there will be much of an issue with that. I think they'll probably just have to move back to the online format for that. So there you have it. Next up, we are going to jump over to the Hangzhou Spark as they announce they are parting ways with Godsby. And this is an article on June 22nd by Liz Richardson. One of the Hangzhou Spark's original members won't be continuing his journey with the team for the rest of the 2021 Overwatch League season. The Spark announced today that it's parting ways with hitscan DPS player Godsby, who's been a part of the Hangzhou's roster since late 2018. While he was a mainstay for the team in 2019 and 2020 on heroes like McCree and Tracer, his playtime was dramatically reduced in 2021 after the Spark picked up additional players. Quote, Thank you for accompanying me in the previous journey, Godsby said to fans in a video posted by the Hangzhou Spark. See you in the next one. Godsby has indicated that he's actively looking for a new team on social media. Though he was a longtime player for Hangzhou, Godsby is in the latest is the latest in a line of big changes for the Hangzhou Spark as the team deals with somewhat underwhelming results over the first half of the season. After a short losing streak, Hangzhou let go of head coach Pai Zhan and promoted Andante. 
uh, to interim head coach in April. The Spark have a 5-3 and three record heading into the Overwatch League Summer Showdown Tournament cycle. On June 25th at 4 a.m. CT, the Hangzhou Spark will face off against the Los Angeles Valiant in a match that I would say they no doubt win, setting their record to 6-3. and three. Um, Obviously, as always with retirements and things of the like, we wish God's be the best, um, and hopefully the Hangzhou Spark are able to continue on without him um, and maybe turn some things around. It is interesting that he they mentioned there that he's uh, looking for another team because obviously we can we can pretty well assume, although you know maybe we shouldn't, but I think we can pretty well assume he'd probably stay in the uh, eastern region. So we'll see if he lands somewhere else with another team. Now, next up. We're going to jump on over to the official Overwatch website, playoverwatch.com, with a news article here uh, announced today. Grab your dynamite and get ready for a firefight. Ash's Deadlock Challenge is here. They've obviously got a video announcing this that you should go check out, but I'll read through some of this real quick here. All right. From now until July 5th, players will be able to earn a player icon, seven unique sprays, and the Deadlock Ash skin for a total of nine rewards. My business, my rules. Learn how to unlock rewards. Watch to earn. Earn special Ash-themed cosmetics by watching Twitch streams. Read up and ready up. Check out Deadlock Rebels, a new Overwatch novel. My business, my rules. It's time to get your hands dirty. Unlock special Ash-themed content in-game by playing QuickPay. Quick play, competitive play, or arcade to earn a limited time player icon, a spray, and a new epic skin, Deadlock Ash. These special Ash Deadlock Challenge rewards are a bonus on top of your normal earnings for playing in arcade. So they've then got the graphic breaking down in-game rewards. Winning counts as two games. So again, they have the, uh, the, the number of games played to earn this. So play nine games, you get a player icon. Play 18 games, you get a spray. And play 27 games, you get an epic skin. So, obviously, um, you know, you have to play minimum 13, 14 matches if you win, uh, because that will, each win will count as two wins, and therefore you will earn your skin quite easily, or, uh, yeah, your skin. Um, otherwise, you know, if you lose every game, you do have to play 27, so any, anywhere in that range. They've then got, of course, the watch to earn bonuses here. Unlock additional rewards by watching Twitch streamers to get even more Ash-themed cosmetics. Tune into any Twitch streamer while they're playing Overwatch now through July 5th to earn six Ashes Deadlock Challenge sprays. So, you know, they then break down a whole bunch of details around that, which really, in my mind, is way overkill because I think anyone that cares about earning these is already doing it, or people, for the most part, just don't care. I personally don't really care about sprays. Um, I kind of think they're probably the most useless thing in the game, and there's so many of them, it's just a little bit ridiculous. So anyways, they've got a whole blurb here on how to connect your Twitch and everything, make sure you're earning those. And then they do have a graphic breaking down which sprays you earn. So the first one for watching two hours is a uh, Ash eating some pancakes, uh, it appears. Uh, the second one for watching two more hours is uh, two sprays. One appears to be a graduation bouquet and a nice little deadlock McCree. And then final two hours, you get three sprays. You get one of Confused Bob, you get one of Ash, Bob's, and what appears to be McCree's hats sitting on top of each other, and a back-to-back -back buddy cop shot of Ash and McCree. They then, of course, have the uh, a couple of content creators that they're spotlighting with links to their Twitch channels, um, so you can see who exactly you can watch on which days to earn this stuff. They got Emong Fran, ML7 Support, Sarah Jane, Cupcake, Craigie, Samju, Toniki, 
Fitzy here, Jinsei, J3, Sushi, High Score Heroes, and Somnus. Uh, most of those I have not heard of, but a few of them I have. And then, of course, they have at the very end of the article here, Read Up and Ready Up, New Overwatch Novel, Deadlock Rebels by Lindsay Ellie. In the years after the Omnic Crisis, the American Southwest is ruled by vultures looking to profit off the chaos. The West is ripe for the taking, and Elizabeth Caledonia Ash intends to write her name across it. When Ash is arrested yet again, this time on the morning of her high school graduation, her aloof old money parents decide to disinherit Oh, yep, disinherit her from the family fortune. To steal back what's rightfully hers, Ash teams up with her omnic butler, Bob, and local ruffian, Jesse McCree, for a series of heists, catapulting the trio into a game of fast money and dangerous alliances. Learn more about the full story on the Scholastic website, Regional Availability Varies, or read Chapter 1 today. So anyways, uh, you know, some interesting lore there, a nice little prequel story, obviously sets up uh, a little bit more of the story of the Deadlock gang with Ash, McCree, and Bob, of course. And I actually, uh, that's a pretty interesting, I don't know if I realized that, that uh, this this whole Ash came from money kind of thing and on her graduation, uh, or she got arrested and the morning of her graduation, her aloof old money parents, so, you know, I'd say mobster parents, decide to disinherit her from the family. That's all all very interesting, actually. I'm, I'm surprised to hear that, but uh, excited to, to see some more of that and maybe even read up on it. Now, in terms of the skin itself, um, I've got to admit, I'm actually not, like, super impressed, I guess. Um, it kind of, you know, I get it. It's only an epic skin, so it's not meant to be super over the top or anything like that. Um, it's cool. I, I feel like they tried to make Ash look different or, or younger by giving her hair that is less stylish and i i just am not crazy about the fact that it's less stylish actually i think ash looks pretty dang good as herself already <laughs> and i think her new hairstyle under this hat just looks a little bit silly so anyways i digress i'll probably try and earn it anyways moving on from there we're gonna go to a wonderful article here Posted today, 1 p.m., June 22nd, by Liz Richardson on DottieSports.com, and it reads, Overwatch's crossplay beta is now live. The Overwatch development team has announced the crossplay beta, a program that will allow players across different platforms to finally play certain game modes together earlier this month. Though it took a few more weeks of tweaking, the program is going live today. The crossplay beta enables crossplay, cross-platform play across all available versions of Overwatch from PC to Xbox One, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch. Console players will be able to join players on different brands of consoles for the first time, while PC players can finally invite their console friends to enjoy some fun game modes. Overwatch's crossplay does come with a few exceptions, though. Because of the difference in mechanics across PC and console versions of the game, console players who join PC player lobbies will have aim assist disabled. Additionally, console players won't be allowed to join competitive mode PC lobbies at any time. Console players can opt out of the crossplay beta and continue to only play with those who share the same brand of console. Those who opt into the program will then be able to play all game modes, even competitive mode, with players on other console versions of the game. Two separate leaderboards will launch during Season 29 of the competitive mode for console players reflecting their choice to opt in or opt out of the program. PC players can't opt out of crossplay. To fully enjoy the crossplay beta program, console players will need to connect their Overwatch accounts to Battle.net account. Since this does require some level of effort, the Overwatch team will be rewarding all players who opt into the program, even PC players, with a legendary loot box. 
Now, uh, obviously, we talked about this when it was first announced, but uh, they didn't really give much of a timeline on when it would be coming out. So, anyways, very exciting to see that it is finally out. Um, you know, released today. I should actually, I should update the game um, so that I can play with some of my good old PC pals because that is exciting stuff, and I'm very excited for this. Now, I did see tangentially... Um, some complaints on Twitter by a lot of the pros and things like that, where uh, apparently there is now uh, matchmaking will not default to your selected or will not uh, allow you to choose a region for your default servers. Um, so when games, uh, when game queue times are high and there aren't a lot of players, it will actually now just stick you on a Korean server with a bunch of Korean players. Um, if you know, for example, you're in North America. And so I saw someone like Custa uh, posting this and just being like, is is this intended? And then I actually saw someone like Avast commenting on, you know, a forum post by someone who's not an official employee uh, of Blizzard, but sort of a, a moderator of the forums. And they said that this was intended. So we'll see how that develops over the next couple of days because I don't think people are very happy with that. Um, you know, if, if you are playing in North America and you suddenly even if you have a long queue time, you know, you suddenly get matched with Korean players instead, you might just be outclassed a little bit, uh, you know, especially on the more uh, casual side of things. So I digress. Hopefully that's uh, either going to be reversed or there's a little bit more behind that than we are aware of at this stage. But for now, that's it for the news stories of the show. So let's move on over to the IBM Power Rankings, given we don't have an hour recap. To do this week oh uh, we have to get this thing moving again all right so we are going to pull up the ibm power rankings with watson here as i google it to find the link there we go and obviously we're not going to really have too too much in way of um uh, what am I thinking here? In way of movement on the players and things like that, I think last week we did take a brief look at this and uh, all the, the roles were pretty much what we'd expect, um, as well as the rankings overall. But I did want to take my first look at the hero selections. So first things first, if we go to the heroes tab, filter power rankings by Overwatch hero. So it defaults to Ana, it looks like. And if we look below that, we see that in the first place position, is Mick D of the Hangzhou Spark with a score of 119. And I wonder where does everyone's favorite uh, Ana players fall? And it looks like he does not actually show up in the rankings because he probably hasn't played enough this season. So of course I was looking for Twilight of the San Francisco Shock, who we have not seen a lot of, um, but I wanted to, uh, you know, is in my opinion, one of the best Twilights in the league. And I was really hoping to see him here. So we don't actually see him. So, you know, it is what it is. But looking at some of the other players, we see Fielder with the Dallas Fuel in the second spot. So, you know, no surprise there with the Dallas Fuel showing up high in the list. Um, we also see Izayaki in fourth place uh, on the Shanghai Dragons. So again, no shock seeing him up there. Now, let's look at some other heroes. Let's look at Ash, for example. We see Lip with the Shanghai Dragons in first place with a score of 116. Happy in second place shows up with a score of 99. So again, the, the baseline here, I believe they mentioned in the article about this, was 100. So obviously players, uh, you know, scoring above 100 are somewhat exceptional. Um, scoring around 100 are, you know, is basically the average. And then the lower down you go from there, the uh, quicker it drops off kind of thing. Um, and honestly, you know, not seeing, not seeing a ton here that uh, really screams the teams that, you know, we're used to seeing in these 
in these top positions with the exception of lip in first place with the shanghai dragons um, outside of that you know we got houston we got seoul we got atlanta we got washington and then a handful of other teams so now let's move over to a character that maybe we're seeing played a lot more actually you know what i'm gonna go to bastion just to see what that looks like because we don't see bastion played a lot and looks like in first place we have Mulan Ran uh, with the Los Angeles Valiant with a score of 89. We then see Profit on the Seoul Dynasty with a score of 76, and Nero on the San Francisco Shock with a score of 74. So that's kind of interesting, um, just given that we haven't seen a lot of Bastion. Now let's go over to Diva because we're seeing a ton of Diva lately, and you know pretty consistently throughout the season so far. And in first place, we've got Hanbin with uh, the Dallas Fuel with a score of 134. Very significant uh, number there. Given second place is Void with the Shanghai Dragons. So again, you know, typical. But only a score of 119. Um, so, you know, a pretty significant 15-point gap between 1 and 2. We then have Hawk in number 3 with the Atlanta Rain and a score of 116. And I think Hawk was uh, kind of someone that everyone was, or most people were pretty impressed with um, his performance in the june joust so let's move on over to let's see let's go for echo because echo is certainly a player that we're or a character we're seeing played a lot and in first place we do actually see pelican with the atlanta rain and a score of 125 so you know very interesting stuff there given uh given we have seen other significant players playing echo like fleta with the shanghai dragons he does show up here in sixth place with a score of 110 but our second place is Kevster on the Los Angeles Gladiators with a score of 123, tied, actually, uh, with Sparkle on the Dallas Fuel with a score of 123 as well. So, interesting numbers there, um, you know. Interesting that we're not seeing the Dallas Fuel and the Shanghai Dragons uh, up at the top there. But, you know, even still, they do make the list, and obviously that shows kind of how much you know uh, some of these teams are relying on those dps players to make those uh, star plays or those big plays like pelican and kevster do for sure now let's see who else we've got that piques my interest here uh if we switch over to genji a character we don't see played a ton uh we do see tiro or taro tiro tiro with the vancouver titans in the fifth place position with a score of 89 so if i'm not mistaken that's the only place we will see vancouver showing up on these rankings now, let's see who else we've got. Anybody else interesting? If I, I just clicked over to Junkrat just for kicks, and first place is Valentine with the Boston Uprising with a score of 182. That's just bonkers. Like, that is incredibly high. Um, and then number two is actually Hisu with the Toronto Defiant with a score of 140. So still incredibly high. Um, really interesting to see these numbers because they're kind of ridiculous. And I, I really wonder how Valentine and Hisu got that high. They must be, I would assume they must be playing Junkrat and doing well at Junkrat when they do play him more, like significantly more than, than others. Let me actually, let me see here. I can, uh, I can click this thing. Oh, okay. It doesn't. So clicking onto the players doesn't really show us much other than their, their number rankings, uh, per week. So. Anyways, I digress. Um, if we look at, let's see, let's see who's a character that we're seeing a fair amount of. Recently in the June Joust, we obviously saw a ton of Moira. So let's click over to Moira. And in first place, we have Fielder with a score of 117 on the Dallas Fuel. Um, and then, you know, dropping down to eighth, we have Izayaki with a score of 72 on the Shanghai Dragons, of course. In between there, San Francisco in second with Violet, Crimson on the Houston Outlaws in third, Bebe with the Washington Justice fourth, Iris with the Atlanta Reign in fifth. So 
some interesting numbers there. Interesting that we see again Iziaki so low. Um, you know, interesting that another one of these Shanghai Dragons is showing up down there. But again, the Shanghai Dragons really kind of pulled things out uh, in the end game. Uh, in the June joust, and also this again, I think, kind of demonstrates the the impact that the team has as a whole, and that working together has, as opposed to these individual star players like we saw, you know, when I was looking at Echo and things like that. Um, if we look at, let's see, let's see who hasn't been used a ton. I mean, if we look at Soldier seventy six, which is a bit of an interesting one, we see Fleta with the Shanghai Dragons in second place there, and we also see Lip in fourth place with the Shanghai Dragons. Um, so interesting to see that because again, we saw the Shanghai Dragons whip out the legs on uh, in the June Joust in their win against uh, the Dallas Fuel. So interesting to see that for sure. Now Pelican actually coming in at first. Uh, with the Atlanta Reign with a score of 126. So interesting to see Pelican's name a second time. Um, now, moving on from there, you know, if I look at characters like Symmetra, who, someone who we don't see played very often, um, you know, we see scores all below 100. And, uh, you know, a few notable names there, Sparkle in second, uh, Dallas Fuel, and then Lip with the Shanghai Dragons again in fourth. But, you know, nothing, nothing too, too hot there. Um, let's jump over to Tracer because Tracer would obviously be focused entirely on the May Melee tournament given that in the June Joust Tracer was banned from play. So if we look at Tracer we see Decay in the top spot with the Washington Justice and a score of 118. We then see Lip with the Shanghai Dragons and a score of 112 in second. And then dropping down from there I mean we've got Profit on the Soul Dynasty, we've got uh, Sparkle on the Dallas Fuel in the fourth place position. And then, you know, Leave with the Chengdu Hunters, Stryker with the San Francisco Shock, Rascal with the Philadelphia Fusion, Dante with the Houston Outlaws, Fleta with the Shanghai Dragons, and Yaki with the Florida Mayhem. So, interesting stuff to see there. You know, definitely when you think Tracer, you do think of a lot of these players. In my mind, I think the two that you probably think of, um, I definitely go Yaki with the Florida Mayhem because when he pops off on Tracer, he pops off. I, I probably would go Decay with the Washington Justice and Stryker with the San Francisco Shock. So, you know, in those positions, I've got 1, 6, and 10. So not not bad for sure. Uh, moving on from there, let's see who else we, we've we got. Um, maybe I'll look at kind of two more here. Uh, one, I'm going to jump over to Zarya because we did see Zarya getting played um, a little bit in the May Melee, not a ton in the June Joust, um, but we saw her a little bit in some of the experiment experimental kind of uh, comps that teams were running. And looking at this, we see Hanbin in the first place uh, with 114 on the Dallas Fuel. And other than that, you know, we don't see a ton of these sort of high-ranking teams. Um, Fury with the Washington Justice coming in at fourth, and then Michelle with the Toronto Defiant coming in at fifth. So interesting stuff there, and maybe we'll see a little bit more Zarya play once we get into the June Joust, as there will be no, uh, no hero pools, and therefore teams will kind of be free to define the meta. Now, the last one I want to take a look at is Winston, of course, given Fearless's amazing and incredible and extraordinary plays on Winston. Uh, we do see Fearless in the number one spot, as I would have expected to, um, with a score of 137. Number two is Gushui with the Hangzhou Spark. So interesting there. He's coming in at 118. So, you know, there's a gap of 19 points between one and two. Number three is Smurf with the San Francisco Shock. Number four is Meg with the Washington Justice. Number five is Muse with the LA Gladiators. And then coming in at number six, another Shanghai Dragon with Fate. So interesting stuff there. Um, lots of lots of good uh, in, I, I don't know, interesting stuff again. And then actually what will also be interesting in comparison is if we switch over to Wrecking Ball, of course, as I would expect, 
we see Fate in the number one position with the Shanghai Dragons, given it was largely Fate's Wrecking Ball play that was able, or it was a, a large factor in countering the, um, the uh, Dallas Fuel in the June Joust. So with that, we come to the end of the uh, power rankings by IBM Watson, and of course, uh, looking at the new hero rankings. So let's move on to the next weekend games we're entering week 11 the start of the june no not the june joust the summer showdown i think i've been doing that all month or all episode haven't i maybe i don't know the june joust just ended the summer showdown is what's starting june july um let's let's dive into week 11 and we'll do some pickums. there's no stopping me all right we are now in the pickums. so our first pickem of the week going to be a Friday game on Friday, June 25th with the London Spitfire facing off against the Paris Eternal. Now, I will admit, I don't usually do this. I did take a look at the schedule ahead of time. And if I'm being honest, this weekend actually is shaping up to be a pretty exciting weekend of matches with seemingly a lot of potentially uh, well-matched opponents. So our first game, Friday, June 25th, is at uh, 1 o'clock Mountain Time or 12 o'clock Pacific Time, if that's where you are. And it is against the London Spitfire facing off against the Paris Eternal. So um, interesting stuff here, obviously. Two teams that are fairly near the bottom of things and two teams that are fairly evenly matched, I would say. Um, I think Paris gets the edge here. Paris does actually have wins on the season. Uh, looks like three wins, five losses, whereas the London Spitfire are still searching for their first win in the season, just like the Vancouver Titans are. However, again, you know, relatively well suited to play each other. Now, the London Spitfire and the Vancouver Titans might be a more suited matchup where the Boston Uprising and the Paris Eternal also have the same record of three and five. But I digress, you know, only one or two positions separating these two teams. It really could be interesting to see what London has been able to come up with in the uh, the season or the the, the mid-season break that they've had since, you know, not qualifying for the June joust and uh, having a little bit of time off, obviously. Now, the same could be said for Paris, a team who recently brought in um, a new main tank, I believe, um, as well as new support with Dredro coming in. So was Dredro the support player? Paris Eternal Dredro. I could be I could be totally wrong. Veteran Dredro. Uh Dredro is the new main support. I was correct. Okay, good. So ultimately I'm gonna give the edge to Paris, but I think that London has a chance here. Every time I say this, I end up eating eating turds and I lose points and everything, so I'm going to say it'll be Paris 3-1, to one, but I think it'll be a close 3-1. to one. Let's put it that way. Now, moving on from there at 2.30 Mountain Time, we have the Los Angeles Gladiators taking on the San Francisco Shock. Now, if you listen to Plat Chat, like I always do, uh, they had Deepay, the uh, one of the coaches for the Los Angeles Gladiators, on to talk about how things are shaping up and what their expectations are, how things are looking for the summer showdown. Um, I've got to admit, Despite everything that's happened, <laughs> I'm still going to give this to the San Francisco Shock. I'm also going to give the Los Angeles Gladiators one, so I'm going to go three to one for San Francisco. I just feel like uh, I have faith that Krusty, as head coach, um, will have sort of 
He's had enough time now to play with the team. He's had enough time to analyze and tweak roles and tweak uh, the way the team is working together and things like that. And as well as not having the hero, the constraint of hero pools to work with, I think that we'll see some of that crusty magic. That sounds disgusting. We'll see some of that crusty magic returning in this game. And I think it will go 3-1 for the San Francisco Shock. On Saturday, June 26th at one mountain time with the London Spitfire playing in their second match of the weekend and the San Francisco Shock also playing their second match of the weekend and unfortunately this one I think we're gonna see the San Francisco 3-0 the London Spitfire unless London is able to come up with something huge or San Francisco uh, trips on something huge I think San Francisco is gonna come out on top of this one I think that's gonna be an easy match for San Francisco even with the current performances we're seeing this season um, and with with them not having or not showing the dominance that we'd seen previously I still think San Francisco is gonna you know stomp all over London moving on from there 230 Mountain Time we have the Florida Mayhem playing the Toronto Defiant now I want to look at the standings here because as I suspected the Florida Mayhem sitting at a record of four and four the Toronto Defiant one position below them, so Florida's in 7th, Toronto's in 8th, with a record of 4-4. Four and four. The only reason they are not tied for 7th is because the map differential is in favor of Florida with a negative 1 where it compared to Toronto's negative 3. So literally, two maps difference between the two teams. So interesting stuff there. Um, if you look at the 11th place teams, the two that are tied for 11th place in the Vancouver Titans and the, and the London Spitfire, both have a record of 0 and 8. Both have exactly negative 20 uh, map differential. So interesting there that they are literally tied for the position, whereas Toronto technically falls one spot below Florida, given uh, the only slight change in map differential. But I digress. I'm excited for this match. As we all know, I'm a fan of both of these teams, and I will be cheering for both of them. I will probably be wearing my Toronto Defiant jersey while crossing my fingers that we see um, Florida come out on top. But again, you know, I really could go either way because I like both of these teams. Um, ultimately, I think Florida... Uh, it's really hard to say. I think Hero Pools had a pretty significant effect on both teams in the uh, June joust there. Um, and like I, I want to say I would give the edge to Florida, but at the same time, the Toronto that we saw in the May Melee was was significantly better, I think, than, uh, than they were um, in the June joust. Now, obviously, Florida did make it to the, uh, to the May Melee tournament. So I'm going to give it to Florida. I'm going to cross my fingers that Toronto shows up and this goes the full five, giving it to Florida with a record of three and two. Moving on from there, we see, as I mentioned here, the Vancouver Titans uh, taking on the Boston Uprising at four o'clock mountain time. And again, where we see the Paris Eternal in 10 and technically 11, but more like 12 taking on each other, we see the Boston Uprising in nine taking on the Vancouver Titans in 11th place. Um, so Boston obviously has the better record here with three wins, five losses, negative four map diff. Um, and the Vancouver Titans still looking for their first win. Ultimately, I've got to give it to Boston. The only question is, does Boston walk all over the Vancouver Titans? Um, you know, obviously, with the fact that the Vancouver Titans have not had a win this season, um, they have taken some maps off some decent teams, but Boston has gotten wins and and has been trending upwards i will say they did have a bit of an easier strength of schedule than the vancouver titans did this past uh, tournament cycle but even still 
I think what we've seen from Boston is that they are looking to be improving. And Vancouver, uh, you know, they had that one really bad match, which was a shame. But I think Vancouver um, is hopefully going to see things a little bit, a little bit easier uh, given their schedule and everything this next uh, few games. Now, actually looking at their schedule for the June joust here, uh, for the summer showdown, I should say, looks like they've got two easier games, two more, two kind of, you know, middle too difficult maybe one middle middle road game and then one uh, more difficult game but i digress against boston i'm gonna say they do get a map for sure the only question is is it three two is it three one i think i'm gonna give it to them three one give it to boston three one so i'll lock that in we'll we'll leave that as is moving over to sunday june 27th we see the los angeles gladiators taking on the paris eternal at one o'clock mountain time i think the glads take this three i think paris uh if paris shows up they could push it to five but i'm gonna say they take it three one especially yeah yeah i'll say three one for in favor of the glads Moving on from there, the next game is at 2.30 Mountain Time. And the Boston Uprising playing their second match of the weekend against the Florida Mayhem playing their second match of the weekend. This time, I'm going to give it to the Florida Mayhem, hands down. Um, even though they aren't separated by too many positions in the standings, I think Florida just has the technical skill and the teamwork to come out on top over Boston. I'm going to give it to them 3-1. to one. Final match of the weekend in the Western Region is at 4 o'clock on Sunday, June 27th, and sees the Toronto Defiant returning to the Battle of Canada against the Vancouver Titans. And ultimately, I'm giving it to Toronto 3-0. Maybe I'll wear my jersey on Sunday rather than on Saturday, purely because in the Saturday match, I want both of those teams to win, even though they're playing each other. So we're going to leave it at that. Now, over to the East Region. I'll breeze through these as I'm always not too familiar with the East Region. But we first see on Saturday, June 26th, the Hangzhou Spark taking on the Los Angeles Valiant. Hangzhou is going to take it 3-0, to zero, as is tradition. Then at, uh, well, also on Saturday, but in the wee hours of the morning, Pacific and Mountain Time, the Seoul Dynasty take on the Chengdu Hunters. And I just don't trust Seoul to show up. I'm going to say Chengdu takes it 3-1. to one. Then we have the final match of Saturday for the East Region, where the Guangzhou Charge take on the New York Excelsior. And although some people are singing the praises of New York, I'm going to give it to Guangzhou 3-1. to one. Sunday, June 27th, we see the Hangzhou Spark take on the Seoul Dynasty. And this one could be a bit of a toss-up, could be a little more interesting. Uh, just for shits and giggles, it's a double points match. But I'm going to go 3-1 in favor of Hangzhou. After that, we have the Chengdu Hunters taking on the Guangzhou Charge. And I'm going to give it to Chengdu again. Uh, I think Chengdu, without the restrictions of hero pools, you know, obviously different metal will be shaking out, and, you know, it's on a different patch, so characters will be stronger or, or tweaked slightly. I'm still going to give it to Chengdu over Guangzhou. Finally, we have the New York Excelsior against the Los Angeles Valiant, and again, as is tradition, I'm going to give it a 3-0 for the New York Excel. Let's save those predictions. Let's lock in those answers. And with that, let's Head on over to close out the show. Excuse me for dropping in. Well, if you've made it this far, I assume you know what the show is and who I am, but I'm going to tell you once more anyways. I am at Sir DRJM, that's Sir Dr. JM. You can follow me on all socials, uh, especially Twitter, where you can tweet at me and leave me comments, questions, topics, anything you want me to talk about on the show, and I am happy to oblige. This, of course, has been episode 46 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch.
podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And of course, you can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. So go give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, all that fun stuff. And of course, if you find a service that you can't get the podcast on, uh, hit me up on Twitter. That's at SirDRJM. Now, thank you again for listening. We will catch you next week where we will, of course, look at the start of the Summer Showdown Tournament, the uh, the first week in it, which is week 11, as we have now reached the basically the halfway point of the season. And we will catch you next week. Goodbye. Thank you.